0: Hello, one and all, and welcome to another episode of the B Side for the Film Stage. As ever, I am Dan Mecca with the lovely Connor O'Donnell. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm I'm doing just fine. Well, so here, as you know, on the B Side, we talk about movie stars and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today, we were lucky enough to be joined by a movie star himself. Um, one of my personal favorite actors, the one and only Guy Pierce. He's the guy. He's the guy. Hey, he's I'm the, the guy. He's the guy. Um, we had a little guy talk, little guy chat, and a solid 25 minutes. We talked about his new film, Memory, directed by Martin Campbell, starring Liam Neeson, Monica Bellucci, and obviously Guy Pierce. Um... And use that as an in to obviously talk about memory a little bit, but also talk about some of his B-sides. The B-sides we talk about include The Count of Monte Cristo, The Hard Word, Death Defying Axe, and The Incomparable Lockout, a.k.a. AKA AKA Space Jail, a.k.a. Escape from New York in Space, (laughs) which he acknowledged, which I appreciated. Um... And obviously courts have acknowledged as well. Um, but so <laughs> Guy Pierce, yeah, um, this was really one of a, this is a, a highlight, I think. I mean, he was, we're going to jump right into the episode. We don't want to waste a lot of time. We want you to hear kind of our talk with Guy, obviously, as soon as possible. But I'll just say, this was a highlight. This was a great conversation. Yeah, he was amazing to talk to. We only got a short amount of time, but we, we stretched it as much as we could. And he was more than happy to kind of keep talking. I feel like we could have talked with him for another 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, agreed about any myriad of films so um without further ado i'll pass it connor for you to to throw to it but here is here's the talk with guy
1: yeah yeah like dan said we uh we were able to talk to him ahead of memory which comes out uh as you're listening it would it'll come out april 29th uh so you can check that out if you are so inclined um but like dan said it was a super nice conversation and uh and he was very candid very game to kind of Uh, As he mentions uh, in the interview, as you'll hear, he mentions uh, he's very game to have a laugh about some of this stuff. So it's really great. And without further ado, here is our conversation with the one and only Guy Pierce.
0: Jumping into memory, obviously, um, we got a chance to watch the movie. Congratulations on it. I think the question was, unless I'm totally missing something, I believe this is your first time working with Liam Neeson and Martin Campbell. So that's correct. Yeah. So it it just, this is an action movie, obviously of sorts. Does that draw you to a project like that, their involvement and them being kind of action icons in their own right? Is that a reason to make memory or?
2: Well, I mean, funnily enough, it it wasn't so much that, that, that they both have experience in the sort of the action genre. It was actually more the opposite in, in that, in that, even though it's a, I mean, it's a psychological drama and it has an action element to it. But sure. because Liam is, I found that the script had quite an emotional um, uh, through line and because of what Liam's character is going through and also the the backstory of my character um, and because of Liam's sort of own sensitivity, even though he's become more known in this more recent time as a bit of an action Icon. He really is a very delicate and subtle actor, um, and Martin as well. Even though he's had great experience in the action genre, just the conversations that I had with him, he was very keen to make sure that the film was an emotional story and wasn't just an action film. So that I think, if I got the sense it was just going to be an action film, I i may not have done it. I mean, I'd like the script sure. anyway, so I probably would have done it. But but getting to play a character and getting to sort of delve into that the psychological and emotional stuff is always what interests me more than just, you know, action basically. Yes. Yeah, stunts and choreography. And whatnot. Yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cause after a while that stuff just becomes a bit meaningless to me, sure. to be honest.
0: Yeah. And I understand that. And even Martin, Martin Campbell, literally last year, a movie, uh, speaking of besides a movie came out called the protege with Maggie Q, which is a great example yeah. of what you're talking about action movie, but with a lot of nuance and great dialogue. And obviously memory has a lot of that as well. So that's, that's uh, well put. Um, but so yeah, I mean, look, one of the things, you know, you're we talk about B-sides all the time on our podcast and you're such a great example of, of of an actor who your versatility is one of your great strengths, of course. I mean, who would who would deny that? And I think just pivoting to some B-sides, right? You And they plenty of, my, of them. Well, but here's the thing though. That's the first one to admit that it's called, range, it. guy. That's called yeah, range,
1: guy. That's just Yeah, guy. That's called all.
0: range, guy. But so, but so here's the thing: the Count of Monte Cristo probably is a cheating. It's cheating, actually, at our own terminology, because it's really not a B side, because it did do well, and it's it is a bigger Hollywood movie. But I think we're me and Connor are breaking the rule because we love the movie and we quote it to each other all the time, and that is true. Okay. But but, yeah, so I guess my question is: it's pretty early on in in your Hollywood. Kind of emergence, I would say. L.A. Confidential obviously comes out a few years before, but you're kind of you're like leading movies at this point. You're you're digging into this villain role, obviously, obviously, obviously in this adaptation of this great text. I guess the thing about The Count of Monte Cristo is it feels very much 2002, but also timeless in the way Kevin Reynolds kind of shapes the movie. It's swashbuckly. There's an Errol Flynn thing happening in it, right? It's, so anything about that movie lessons learned from it experiences just from being on that kind of earlier on Hollywood movie in your, in your,
2: well, funnily enough, that was, that was actually at a bit of a difficult time for me. It was, it was, it was right at the point, I think from, uh, sort of from 99, 2000 into 2001, doing the time machine, 2001, I really started to, I mean, as you know, I started working in Hollywood in 96 on LA Confidential. And things were sort of picking up and getting bigger and bigger. And I think what they did, they they sort of amplified my own insecurities and my own sort of, um, you know, if I if I found anything um, difficult as far as the hypocrisy of the industry or the way in which people were treated, um, and my own, as I say, insecurities about my own abilities, that stuff was all sort of being amplified by that time. And I found myself being pretty grumpy at everybody all the time and I thought I've really got to take a bit of a break and so after Mm. Time Machine and Count of Monte Cristo um, I then took quite a big break just to have a big old think about what I was doing I mean I've been acting since I was a kid so Mm. in theatre mainly in theatre so the Count of Monte Cristo was a bit of a pivotal time I mean I had a great time on the film but I was I found myself always having to before I spoke to anybody, I had to just say to myself all the time, okay, be nice, just just be pleasant (laughs) with people. It's okay. Just, you know, I sort of found being part of that big studio system difficult, even though we were away from it because we were in Ireland and Malta. Mm -hmm. All the executives were there a lot of the time. Um, But it was great fun as well. Jim was great. Kevin was great. Um, You know, Luis Guzman and Dagmara, you know, James Frayne, all these other wonderful actors I got to work with were, were lovely and a lot of fun. Um, but I just I just found found things sort of difficult at that time. Um, sure. It was funny too, actually, because there was a version of the script that I got that I signed on for. Then when I turned up in Ireland, they said, "Here's the new version of the script," oh, yeah, and it was yeah. quite different. And I went, oh, "Well, this is my first like <clears throat> my nails were out," you know. So that was a that was a bit of a test and trying to cobble it back to what it was before. Just primarily my character trying to cobble it back to what I've liked in that first script was a bit of a task. you know.
1: Now the script for that movie is also, I mean, it's quite different than the book in terms of some of the sure. narr- broader narrative choices it makes. Was that part of that whole change? Like, was it something closer to the book originally? And then what, what you had showed up to
2: was. Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. Yes, that's right. W- what I then showed up, it sort of, it sort of became, it just felt like it became less sophisticated and less sure. subtle and less smart it just became a bit of a big um yeah i don't know and I, I kevin obviously made a great film but it, but i don't know why it had to sort of take this sort of left sure. turn mm-hmm. and then for all of us well, to sort of fight to get it back to well you know was, right
0: but, guy they probably wanted him to make robin hood prince of thieves right i mean you know he that, guess so. he made that movie in ninety one and, and I think to your point the machine gets in the way sometimes with some of the nuances and you run into like he can still I mean Robin and Princess is very entertaining movie he can give you that and, and you know we love the Count of Monte Cristo for those elements of course but to your point you're approaching it. You know, as an actor, reading an initial script and then coming to Malta or whatever, and it's like, oh wait, this yeah. isn't this isn't what it I was, thought it was going to be. That's right, yeah.
2: and it was a, just a real battle every day to kind of make sure that we were, you know, getting it to something that felt sort of intelligent and sophisticated, mm-hmm. not not just yeah, uh, to yeah. action oriented. Yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting. So that around that same time, at least in America, the hard word comes out. Now, I would imagine you had made that before. The
2: um, account, yeah, what did I do? I think, well, I think no, I made the hard word 9 uh, 11 happened right in the middle of the hard mm. word. Oh, so wow, not, okay, we were making we were making because we were, we're all standing on set, literally watching the news, you know, on on the hard word. And I think we'd made I think we'd made Count of Monte Cristo just before that. Oh, okay. I for, forget 2000, 2001 was all of that. Um, That's right. (laughs) I think think the second half of 2000 was Count of Monte Cristo. I think the first half of 2001 was The Time Machine. And then straight after that was um, The Hard Word. Man, that was Uh, two two productions in a row. Wow. Yeah, I get it. Because Your
0: Time Machine obviously had its own... Issues similar, right? Where, where there was a lot of yeah, stuff it was happening. a really it was a beast of <laughs> yeah. a, it
2: was a beast of a film, and it was right. a difficult one. And then soon as I finished Time Machine, we had to go back to Ireland and redo the whole sword fighting scene between me oh, and Jim Caviezel, uh, with young Henry Young Henry Cavill in the wings there
0: too. That's right, young Henry yeah. Cavill,
2: who's now uh, big old uh, not old, <laughs> big, but Hen- big, big big Henry, Henry Cavill. Cavill. <laughs> yeah, totally, absolutely.
0: <laughs> but so the hard word is I. So I I, I call this movie. Probably, you know, it's funny. Probably because of the County Monte Cristo and the Time Machine, and I like loved you, you know, as a younger person, and obviously La Confidential. I think I was seeking stuff out that you were in, right? Like, you know, like, and I think I saw it young, and I that was probably my entree into Australian cinema because it blew me away. It's a great little movie. Um, You'll see a million familiar faces, and obviously Rachel Griffiths, Young Joel Edgerton. It's just a yeah. it's a great kind of heist con movie. Uh, big recommend uh, to, to those listening, and um, kind of represents how important you are to obviously Australian cinema, and kind of is a good. I don't know. I think it's a good
2: entry point for anybody. Who well, get funnily and funnily enough, that was actually a very difficult experience. Interesting. <laughs> not, wow. not to whinge about all these experiences, but no, please. Yeah. But it was a. It, I, I got the script, loved the script, thought it was really funny and and actually thought, yeah, after these two big American things, it'll be great to come back to Melbourne, mm. do some, you know, uh, Australian um, comedic, you know, yeah. something A that felt cluster. more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we realised very early on was that, that the guy who wrote it, who was then also directing it, really had no clue what he was doing as a director (laughs) and not to take anything away from him because he's a lovely, lovely guy, really is a lovely guy, but he would literally stand on set and go, I don't know, what are we going to do? And so very early on me, Rachel, Joel Edgerton, particularly me and Rachel went, okay, we're directing this. Let's go. We'll we'll come in this door. And Brian Breaney was our cinematographer who had shot Priscilla so really oh, we know, would work yeah. it out with Brian, um, you know, well, I'm going to come in, I'm going to do that. I'll say this to you there. Yeah. Does that feel good there? You're going to shoot that like that. Fantastic. Great. Scott, what do you think? You happy with that? Yep. Great. Okay. Thanks. You know, so it was a bit of a frustrating That's experience tough. and again, yeah. not to take anything away from him, but he, he probably shouldn't have taken it on as a director. He'd written a very funny script, right. um, mm. but wasn't really up for knowing how to handle it on set. And I—that was the film where I really realised that all that grumpiness that I said I was having through sort of, you know, two thousand and into two thousand one, really all came out. Like I, after that film, I went right. I need to take some time off. Wow, so,
0: that's interesting. So those three movies really were a kind of a, a, a crescendo,
2: if yeah. you will, right? Yeah, you, and I'd yeah. done, as you know, I'd done in '99, in I'd done Memento, and I'd done um, uh, Rules of Engagement. Mm-hmm um prior that prior to that in 1998 I'd done ravenous which was fraught with all sorts of difficulties they fired the first director God, all, um, all of
0: my favorite a movies great B-side years.
2: though oh, yeah, ravenous, it's another great occult classic I love, well absolutely yes. but we had Milcha manchevsky directing at first they fired him after two weeks and brought in the director of Home Alone three and said you're gonna make a fun teenage scary movie <laughs> and me and Robert Carl said no you're not that's not what we <laughs> sign up for and we're having a mutiny so we had a mutiny and Fox said okay who do you want to direct the movie yeah. And Robert Carlisle said, well, Antonia Bird knows the script. She's ready to go. Let her direct it. So she directed the film, but Fox were just on her all the time oh. because oh, Scream had Scream had been really popular. Right. So they wanted to just sort of mimic that, whereas when Robert Carlisle and I signed up with Milchan Manchevsky to make this dark psychological thriller yeah. about cannibalism it wasn't a fun teenage scary horror movie it was a dark psychological thriller about cannibalism made by a macedonian amazing director who got fired after two weeks so it was just So 1998 it, it began really in 1998 it was difficult and then as i say that led in i mean obviously 99 was great i did memento and rules of engagement um So you know, but but just dealing with the Hollywood system through that later part of the '90s and into the early 2000s, I found myself going, I don't know that I'm cut out for this. I just, oh, you know, I'm much much happier on a smaller independent set where if 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 a script is going to change, the director comes and talks to you about it. You don't get your agent doesn't get sent a copy of it by the executives, and they go, (laughs) here's the new script, and you go, what? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that.
0: So when when you ultimately do lockout, yeah, obviously years later, um, which I don't know if you know, lovingly it's called in the film appreciation film Twitter film critics community, lovingly called Space Jail. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if you know about this. Yeah, but um, we love Space Jail. Would um, you? That, that's a not a huge budget movie, but it's a French production. It, it's a healthy budget. Do you approach that? Maybe more positively because you get to kind of play a, a hero, and it is a Hollywood kind of an
2: archetype. Maybe. Well, and by that point, so after two thousand two, two thousand three, as I say, I took a big break. Two thousand four, I finally come back and do the proposition, mm-hmm. and by that point, I've I've regrouped, I've reassessed myself, my approach to acting, my approach <laughs> to Hollywood, my just everything, and I I've come at it by that point as a thirty year old, whatever going, okay, this is a career that I'm prepared to take on as opposed to the decision of an eight-year-old who was doing plays going, I'll just do whatever comes my way. Right. I
0: right. at right. least
2: grew up a little bit and, and thought, if I'm going to do this silly job, I need to be able to bring a certain amount of humour to it and I need to look after myself during the process and not do jobs back to back to back and have breaks in between and bloody blah. So by the time I get lockout, which was 2010, sure. um, things have really changed for me. You know, I think personally, I just have a totally different attitude about everything. And even though Lockout, as we know, you know, the visual effects probably let that film down quite a bit. It's it's as it's it's a bit of a uh, a take on um, uh, what's the what's the film that it kind of um, escapes Yeah, escape yeah. from New York exactly. <laughs> yep. um, thank you. Um, there was really great fun elements to it and, and Stephen, the director, was a delightful, hilarious guy. And so there was a certain comedic element that, oh, yeah. that we wanted to bring to that, which I really look forward to and really had a great time doing. And and I think we managed to to, to sort of success successfully do. Um the film is, you know, as I say, it's it sort of it just didn't, it just didn't live in that universe that it should have lived in. Um I yeah, think the visual, the visual effects, kind of, as well as perhaps other elements too, but the visual effects, I think, really let it down. W- there's a cheekiness. Look at it, it just feels a, like a video game, you know. I
0: guess, but but to your point, you guys, all all your collaborators bring a cheekiness to it, and and whatnot. That I do think time has allowed to marinate in a positive way if that makes yeah, sense no, I, I, yeah no i agree i oh, yeah. agree
2: and, yeah. and funnily enough even like with ravenous which is a different kind of film you know ravenous has a real cult following and, mm-hmm, totally. and there are flaws with that film but antonia made a pretty interesting movie and but she was totally under the pressure of the studio at the time so it's amazing she didn't finished the film but lockout lockout does have a sort of a cult sort of weird sort oh, well, of cult yeah. status and it was weird after that film because lots of people, when we were doing the press for it, lots of people said to me, Right, so are you gonna play lots of action heroes from now on? And I went, No. I mean, no more <laughs> than I'm gonna play and uh, no more than I'm gonna play LA cops or drag queens. I mean it's just <laughs> right, 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 right. it's just sort of a, a one-off thing that worked for that movie and I'll just try to stay versatile if I can, you know. No, um, totally. But it was great fun. It was really was great fun. It was also mad because we were in Serbia. We were, we filmed the whole thing in in, in right. uh, Belgrade. Yeah, that's wild. Um, and I'd just come off Mildred Pierce. So I I'd, I'd did a delightful I, five minutes in, in film, New York. I worked on that for that show, actually.
1: Oh, right. Kind of oh, really? Funny. You were, I, yeah, you were was, at Steiner, in, right? Yeah, I was an intern at Killer Films while
2: you were filming. <laughs> I don't think we ever crossed okay. paths, but Kate, Kate okay, and I did fantastic. a couple of times. but. Um, well as yeah. we know kate todd christine what an incredible lovely team of people yeah lovely bunch lovely bunch. yeah
1: yeah great came and at a so crucial
2: time a- yeah for everybody
0: that was a that was an important inflection point for everybody that was like a big moment i think todd kind of, kind of coming back and and, yep. and and you guys making a Mildred pierce that was
2: close to the book right i mean that was a good well, much closer to the book and i remember yeah. i remember yeah. my agent calling me saying oh so uh Todd Haynes and Kate Winslet are interested in you for this role. It's an HBO thing, James M. Kane novel, remake of uh, Mildred Pierce, but obviously much more like the one. I'm, I'm going, just say yes. Just say yes. <laughs> it's like, no, no, we'll send you the script. Have a thing. No, just say yes. It's Todd Haynes. It's Kate Winslet. It's HBO. Like, what? Yeah, of course. <laughs> just yeah. say yeah. yes. How, how, could you say, how could you say no? <laughs> now, so, so yeah, so,
0: I mean, like you said, there's you've had such an eclectic career and so, so, so many kind of successes. I mean, um, so – you know, obviously we're talking about you uh, for memory and memory's coming out as you're listening and that's that's great to remind people of. Let me just ask you, kinda as our time is coming to an end to some degree, are there any B sidey films in your mind that you're like, Yeah, you know, that was one I, I would I would encourage people to, to to discover if if they haven't discovered it of yours.
2: Maybe. Um there was a film I did with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sersha Ronan called Death Defying Acts.
1: I oh man, it's so funny you say that because when we were thinking about what movies to ask you about, I was
2: like, we but well, we, there's Gillian Armstrong, right? Yeah, yeah and Gillian is an is an extraordinary filmmaker, an absolute. You play, pure class. You play Harry, Harry Houdini. Houdini. So here's yeah. a guy.
0: Funny you mentioned. Uh, funny you mentioned Death Defying Acts. Um, when we were starting this website, me and my colleague Jordan, we went to school in Buffalo, literally. In 07-ish, what have you, we would go to the Toronto Film Festival and pay as just people to see movies because we hadn't really... It was a blog we started, right? We, you're not getting any accreditation back then. One of the movies we paid the premiere ticket for because we were very excited to see it was... Death Swear to God, death defying acts. We were very excited. Guy Pierce, we love Guy Pierce. He's playing Harry. Now Nini. he's going to
1: look it up and check the review. Get Jillian Armstrong, <laughs> Little
0: Women. You know, I don't know. Yeah, we
2: must have maybe it's we must have reviewed it. I don't remember, but but um, that well, I think um, it's a, and, yeah, and, and well, sadly, with that film, it got lost in the sort of Harvey Weinstein um mm. maelstrom because. Uh, and and I remember Gillian being absolutely furious. Uh, I, I think Harvey had to. His commitment was to put it out in one cinema, that in order to get it sort of academy accreditation, mm-hmm. accreditation or something like that. And because of the because he wasn't either, he wasn't happy with the film, or he just didn't think he could do with it what he wanted. He just put it out in a cinema without telling anybody, basically, mm. which kind of then ruined its chances of having any sort of life whatsoever. So that was sort of the end of it. We did a little bit of publicity for it in Australia. People thought it was a really lovely, classy film, but and, and who knows, maybe it, it, maybe it wouldn't have had a life bigger than it should have, but, but it did feel like a really solid, beautiful, interesting, lovely film that got completely lost in the mm. wash. Um, so that's wow, one of those yeah. ones where I go, Oh, wow, what a shame! Like it's so good, <laughs> you know. Um, um and it's, yeah. it's interesting with films because you know, you'll do something that it really is a, a pile of crap, and you just keep seeing billboards for them everywhere, <laughs> posters, you think, No, <laughs> no, stop. not this
0: one, not <laughs> like disturbing
2: one. the peace, you know, that film I did called <laughs> Disturbing the Peace, which, which just is just abysmal, <laughs> and you know, I, I. Not to make excuses, but the, the one word that I will use to to defend, not that it's any defence whatsoever, but my own personal reasoning for certain films around a particular period of my life, the one word is divorce. <laughs> and um, and I've said to a couple of people, it's one of my divorce movies, and people go, oh, what, it's a movie about divorce? Oh. oh. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I see, yes, yeah. I see. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. There's an order for me not to sell my house in Melbourne. Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, that's and, like, you know, I kept, Oh, man. Yeah. You know. That's like Timothy yes.
0: Oliphant made a joke about it, having to pay off his house and they were trying to get him to do the first Hitman movie. He said in some interview. And, 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 um, he realized Deadwood got canceled, and so he wasn't getting the season three check. Yeah. So he's like, "So I said yes." And people, he's like, people just still come up to. You, they go, well, "When's Him Two coming out?" He's like, "I'm not going to be in it. And I paid yeah. for that house."
2: So well, funny. and it's terrible. You know, you say, you know, as I say, people say, "Oh, no, I'm, I'm watching Disturbing the Peace on the TV." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what? I've done like 65 films, and that's <laughs> the one." There's a whole lot of B sides that you should see. But what about the first snow and and the slipping down life oh, and all these snow. you know all these great great little films that you know didn't really get first much snow, exposure. that
0: should be first people should know about first snow. Yeah. That's a great movie. And yeah. A, wow. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Slipping down, life, down too, life
0: too, of course. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, you got hey, you've made a lot of good movies, guy.
2: I've been very um, lucky. Very but but own. so
0: thank you so much. This has been such an absolute honor and a pleasure. This Indeed. has been great, and even to remind people, rules of engagement have a, a great role in that movie. Yeah. Um. And and there's it been was so funny. Many... I'll tell
2: you. I'll just quickly tell you a rules of engagement story. Please. So we do rules of engagement. I played that role. Kenneth Turan writes an amazing review about me in that film. Mm. He says the film's not bad, you know, whatever, whatever. But sure, Guy sure, Pearce, sure. oh, my God, Guy Pierce. So everyone at Paramount calls me and different people call me around Hollywood saying, wow, you've got to see this, Kenneth, around review. It's incredible. I'm, so, of course, my, I'm feeling as big-headed as ever. <laughs> uh, Paramount then say to me, oh, do you want us to send you all the reviews from all around the country? <laughs> and I went, Yes. So they no, send no. me literally these big cardboard boxes of these folders with like every review from all over the country. Pretty much every one of them say, "Who does Guy Pierce think he is impersonating, <laughs> Al Pacino?" <laughs> so it was <laughs> such a lesson for me about reviews. It really sure. was because I went from the, the the sort of the heights of glory to the most depressed. That was it, ninety nine to into two thousand. That again, was part the time. of the, you know.
1: But yeah. you'll so read around every, every time, time.
2: now. <laughs> well i think yeah i'll read kenneth but you know <laughs> kenneth <laughs> kenneth
0: and kenneth only yeah that's right um but here uh, here's hoping this sparks um a small but resilient deathifying acts uh, people re- seeking surgeons. that out R- first snow yeah. obviously another good i'm glad you mentioned that one that's a good one um but yeah god thank you so much thank for you this so quick much. chat we really appreciate it Absolute um, pleasure guys
2: thank you it's great yeah. to talk to you good to have a laugh about this yeah stuff exactly no absolute pleasure yeah. have a good rest of your day Thank you. All right. right, Bye bye now. Cheers, guys. Take
0: care. There you have it, folks. Divorce movies—not movies about divorce, but movies that you made because you were having a divorce. Which, look, I'll tell you. I'll say this: I've, I've, as I've gotten older, I feel like I've said this to friends and and colleagues. Um, actors and artists, I find there's this funny, and I guess it's because it's a craft, and there's like a passion, you know suggested and assumed as part of the craft but there's a double standard with with artists and actors that i find a little funny as i get older where there's this idea that like they're not allowed to make stuff for money or like or like they're allowed to do it but not without some ridicule and as i've gotten older i find that more comical than anything because i'm like it is a job i mean like right, you know right. like, like yeah like
1: get them get the money whatever yeah like, and like and like yeah. like
0: you know case in point like me and you do a version of what we went to school for and what we dreamed about doing i mean yes we're not right you know we have yet to be lucky enough to write and or direct something where someone's giving us you know, some healthy budget. We have created things that are our own. We've been lucky enough to do that, and I've been lucky enough to, you know, send things to festivals and have them kind of, you know, and ha- and you know, shown things I have made in front of an audience. But well,
1: I I did have to do a bunch of projects to pay for my many divorces.
0: So which I know I appreciate you yeah. even saying it because yeah, I know yeah. you don't love talking look, about you got, it. Point is, you, you know, you're it's off, a job. You look, you're an oft-divorced man. Um, but what I'm saying is. What I appreciated about that that kind of that last few minutes where he got very honest about you know what was the movie disturbing the peace right you know right, whatever right. Well, I, haven't, I haven't even seen it. I think I don't even I think it's like a, like an action movie of some sort but 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 um you know he's like those are my divorce movies and my point is just like yeah like I don't know how many things have we worked on that we, there's no allegiance to it in some passionate right. way but. We give it our all. I mean, like, right? It doesn't mean you're I still not. I work my ass off yeah. on the on everything I do, and you care about the result. Like, it could be for yeah. You still want to make product. A good, you want to make it good. good so thing. I always think it's yeah. funny when there's this idea that like actors like are quote unquote slumming it. And look, I, I guess I guess Guy himself is almost confirming it because him he himself is saying like. You don't have to see it, disturbing. It kills peace me story. that when people yeah. bring up disturbing the peace, because yeah. that was a divorce movie. I'd rather people see First Snow, and I'm like, okay, well there you go. I yeah. guess that's the yeah. passion. It, that, right there, there's the passion, it, right? Yeah. Isn't it? We didn't have time to ask him about this, but it was
1: the first when he mentions the divorce movies thing. It was one of the first that I thought of. And it, it's kind of I don't know. Somebody smarter than me can maybe take a look at it or write a little thing about it. But like how maybe his divorce movies intersect with Nicolas Cage's uh, tax movies. I was so in, in Seeking Justice, but see <laughs> which so. which is a movie I like by the way. But see, like, it's funny. You know,
0: like, so the first thing I thought of was Seeking Justice when he mentioned the, does his the divorce timing movies. Not line but up for I that? was looking at it and and. And so, so, two things. It comes out in 2011. His divorce is final in 2015. So, th- there's a big, there's a run, there's four years in between, which right. look, okay. you know, with divorces, who knows? I mean, it, obviously, yeah, these things sure, can take sure. a long time. But then the second point I'd make is. And actually I'm making three points. The second point I'd make is it's good. Yeah, no, I'm not knocking it. I get I, that's kind of what Right. I'm, Seeking Justice is actually a good movie. And and third and third, Roger Donaldson directed it, who is from New Zealand. Yeah,
1: he's a yeah and he's a B-side king.
0: Ro- but my Donaldson. point is like Guy Pierce is from Australia. Roger Donaldson made some great kind of New Zealand Australian movies. I feel like Guy Pierce probably says yes, even right. no matter what, sure. is my point. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I guess what i'm saying is you know to go and I back will to say it kills point, me to this day seeking justice it's original, not called original the hungry rabbit jumps good title yeah. the, Hun- the hungry yeah. rabbit jumps good title yeah um i t- just to go back to your
1: original point and then we'll get into the the b-sides a little bit but like yeah like seeking justice to me is a really good example of you know a a good B-sidey movie so i'm just going to shout that out now like if you haven't seen it and you like the kind of movies we tend to talk about on the show seeking justice fits right and in look, there that, and look
0: and Nicholas Cage has been talking a lot about this with that that new movie yeah, coming out th- he yeah. has not mentioned seeking justice so who knows if, how he feels about it but he's been right. saying the thing of you know, people make fun of my VOD period, but I've done some of my But best I show work. up
1: in all of them. Yeah, yeah.
0: Seeking Justice, I think, is a good example of like it's not. I'm not saying it's his best work, but he is very much game he's, in kind of yeah, a in doing. a in a action thriller that's above board, right? It's it's a it's yeah, it's it's, it's a good director, Roger Donaldson. It's a good cast. I think yeah. January Jones is, is the is the female lead. Is the yeah. you know, it's a solid thriller. That yeah, you're right to recommend. I think anybody would would enjoy it. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: So that said, uh, we'll dive into some of the ones we talked about in, in depth a little bit here. Um, I wish we could have talked about them in depth with Guy, but you get what you get. Um, so, you know, we, we mentioned, Dan mentioned in the interview, both he and I love Count of Monte Cristo. It is a big, it is a bit of a cheat, obviously. Like you said, Dan, it was a hit. It made money. Um, and
0: I was, you know, it. The thing about this movie. I would argue the Time Machine is more of a B side, actually, because. Because it was a flop. Well, not even because it was a flop, and I mean, it was. And, and and just for context. So it makes them back to back. We talked about it in the interview. You just heard it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Time Machine was very chaotic. They replaced directors, right? Simon Wells. Um, was replaced I, by Gore, Gore Verbinski. Gore right? Verbinski did all the reshoots. And look. Yeah. You know, when you do these interviews in our case, right, these are press days, so you can you kind of say like, hey, we're going to talk about these movies. I didn't want to I didn't want to like dive into Time Machine just cuz that wasn't one of the movies we kind of had said we were going to talk about. Right, but he right. seemed game. I would really have really if we had another 5 minutes, I and you know, we were vibing with him, like I would have loved to have actually got There's <laughs> two things I wish we could have dove into, which was I would have loved to for have him to describe like the Simon Wells leaving Gore Verbinski coming in thing, which right. just like getting any corroboration on that would have been nice because we I think we both also like a lot of the Time Machine as well which yeah not a great t- movie I, but yeah but. we may have talked about it on this show before I'm not sure if we have but like that
1: I think that the Time Machine is like basically one half of a really good movie
0: like and his monologue you know i still think of it i almost mentioned this to him where he you know the the way that the way the movie the time machine the its version of time travel is a closed loop right so yeah so i like first of all i like that as like a as like a lapsed catholic who works well in parameters of there's life there's a fatalism there's I a fatalistic i like the fatalistic yeah. i just blame it on blame it on my parents but i like the fatalistic touch to it where it's not back to the future it's not um there's no metaverse right it's like in the time machine you can go back in time but it does not change fate right like right. like there's a yeah. fixed there's a fixed timeline you're working with it's not loki or whatever right it's like right you are and so he he so in the movie he goes this is the beginning of the movie he goes back a myriad of times to try to save his wife fiance Ooh. And she dies in different ways every single time. And he has this beautiful monologue where he's like, "I could go back a thousand times, watch her die a thousand ways." It's like a great yeah. example of Guy Pearce just in this pocket post LA Confidential. Just whether or not he was enjoying his time, his time on set, he talks about trying to save these doomed Hollywood projects. And a monologue like that is my point. That that's when he's doing his work. Is that it is makes the, idea. the
1: character way more like interesting. And maybe like a little less of a shit, because like in the book and in the in, in, in and the, in, the, uh, in the original movie, the movie,
0: yeah, the original movie, yeah. which I do love in its which own is way, uh, Rod Taylor, Rod, Rod Taylor, Taylor you Rod? know who? Yeah. Look,
1: not and no, God's and it's gift a That's a fu- that's acting, a fun little you know, movie though. Like fun I like the movie. F- yeah i like the movie fine very close but, to the book yeah but in yeah but in both iterations like he is a guy who's just disillusioned like he's like cool peace world i'm gonna go see where we're gonna right in in, in like, the
0: in the wells novel as in the original movie um he's kind of like fuck this place let, yeah. me, let me just go which this maybe way is a, yeah maybe that's which, a which makes the question sentiment. why are we not remaking him right now <laughs> I know <don't> who <laughs> has right? the rights can um, we just do it <laughs>
1: No, but, but I do think that, that, like, the way Pierce plays the role and that whole bit, like, that's the linchpin of why that movie is interesting. Yes, and, it's the romantic, uh, the romantic yeah. fatalism. Because Yeah, because it just gives just an element, it gives a slightly more crucial element as to why this dude would be like, fuck it, I'm going to the future, like, you know, like, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, So anyway, that's just, that's our long way of saying. Oh, wait, but the second thing, the second thing
0: I wanted to ask him, if we had another five minutes, was... Sure. And we, me and you talked offline about this. So he makes LA Confidential. He plays Ed Exley. It's a breakout role. Um, That's his first big movie in the States. Um, Or, in you know, his first big Hollywood movie. I would have liked to have asked him what and if what he knew about white jazz, which right white jazz, for those who maybe don't know, it was a pseudo sequel to James Elroy's LA confidential that focuses on two cops, um, who I don't believe are characters in LA confidential, but there was a moment where Joe Carnahan was going to direct white. I've read the book. I love the book. It's a really, it's a hard nosed book. If you know, James Elroy, you know how he writes. And, um, White Jazz actually is the only Elroy I've read, but I love it. And they almost made the movie, and it was Joe Carnahan directing with Chris Pine and George Clooney. Oh God! In the only. in the co- the Lee roles of the co- the two cops, and then if I'm not mistaken, Ed Exley, yeah, as he was in late, other he was novels, Elroy novice is a supporting character, and I can't remember, but I would have asked him. Like was he approached to like actually... Was, that that w- was gonna be it was gonna happen. Um, yeah. Which would have been great. Because even like Ellis Lowe, the DA, if you watch um Ron Rifkin plays Ellis Lowe in LA Confidential, if you watch the Black yeah. Dahlia, um, that other actor who I believe I can't think of his name for the life of me, he's in the diner scene of Mulholland Drive, I think. What's his name? He's great. He plays Ellis Lowe in The Black Dahlia directed by Bron De Palma anyway point being that would have been the other question I asked him but but point, he was a very honest guy I mean you heard you right? he, he talked about everything yeah. so Count of Monte Cristo was a hit Kevin Reynolds directs I mentioned Robin Hood Prince of Thieves Kevin Reynolds um, gets is, is gets connected with Kevin Costner early makes Fandango gets buried makes a couple other movies I think he made The Beast which was like a tank movie with Jason Patrick kind of a good movie he makes a few other movies. Robin Hood's the big one. Him and Kevin Costner. Yeah. Huge hit. He goes on to make Waterworld with Kevin Costner. Costner basically takes the movie over from Reynolds. It's a really tumultuous set. Reynolds get the gets the DGA credit, but by all accounts, you know, Costner basically Costner takes over directing. directing. They call it, you know, um fish tar is what they call it. Um <laughs> right. and it obviously it doesn't do well, though it's one of those movies not on, like, Last Action Hero. People think of it as a flop, but actually, if you look at the numbers, it's, like, a disappointment more than it's a flop. It's, like... Right, right. It, you know, the flop is The Postman, right? Which, that's oh, for, three years for, later, yeah. and Costner directs that himself. Anyway, Reynolds keeps making movies. He makes 187 one eighty seven with uh, Sam Jackson, which, right. not a great movie, but you might know it as the movie where... As Sam Jackson is a teacher and the movie ends with him playing Russian roulette with his fellow students that's the final yeah. scene of the movie 187 um, look I saw it as a kid and I'll never forget it because it, <laughs> it fucking disturbed me to my core I saw it when I was 11 years old I was like what Like pre the deer hunter me seeing the deer hunter I was like what is this game they're playing you put a bullet in a guy um, if anything a great testament to just what an amazing actor uh, Sam Jackson is but um one eight seven. He makes he makes Tristan and Isolde Right after *The Count of Monte Cristo*. Do you remember the tagline for *Tristan Before and Isolde*? Before
1: *Romeo and Juliet*, there was
0: *Tristan yeah. and Isolde*. I believe that's young James Franco and Sophia Miles uh, with a Y. Anyway, I like *Tristan and Isolde*. Fine. Point is, he. I think there's a moment here with Count of Monte Cristo* and *Tristan and Isolde* where they're basically saying to Kevin Reynolds, "Hey, it's the early aughts." We don't really know what people want. You remember 10 years ago when you made Robin Hood, you want to yeah, like maybe right. do that again, see what we can get. And like Count of Monte Cristo basically hits halfway and then Tristan and he's old doesn't. Right. So it's like Kevin's kind of doing what he can. And to Guy Pierce's point, it sounds like that was the fight on set. It was like a darker kind of, you know, more, uh, true to the book, you know, the Alexander Dumas book, uh, Was approved, and then was rewritten. You know, rewritten throughout filming. And William William Goldman.
1: uh, I don't know if he did the rewrite or if he wrote the original screenplay. I know he got the
0: credit. I believe. Oh, is that right for this? Yeah, and Goldman. I
1: remember. um, Oh yeah, I'm
0: looking at it right now.
1: Well, okay. Yeah,
0: Jay Wolpert is credited. It looks like. For the screenplay.
1: Oh, so I think so. I think maybe
0: Goldman did the rewrite. I'm looking it up, but I. Yeah, and, he, 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 I mean, his his career was doing that. Yeah, you know, and I, I was,
1: and I say that only because I remember. Uh, if anybody out there listening has the DVD, maybe you can check out this featurette and correct me if I'm wrong. But I remember there was a featurette on the DVD that I watched when I was a young man watching this movie, and Goldman said something that i'll never forget because i kind of like it as it pertains to literary adaptations um but he kind of goldman in the in this whatever you studio you know studio approved like featurette or whatever goldman says something along the lines of like look if you want the book read the book it's a good book <sighs> um and it's just his sort of very kind of you know whatever it's succinct uh defense of just like changing you know the ending and 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 things like that uh because he was just like look i don't know i just wanted to make it something that was a little bit neater and tidier for a hollywood movie and and that's what it is and
0: so you know it always reminds me of one of my favorite parts of uh the Shawshank redemption where he's where where i believe it's william sadler is helping andy dufresne at the in the library and he's like alexander dumbass Dumbass. (laughs) Dumbass. <laughs> and Dufresne goes around. He's like, Dumas, Dumas. Uh, yeah. Alexander Dumas. Oh, man. Andy Dufresne, you know what? He was a flawed guy, but he didn't kill his wife. You know what? He didn't kill his wife. I didn't kill my wife, and I, I didn't kill her lover. That's all I know. Anyway. Um, have you heard about this? The <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. Guy Pierce, no, not, no. In it, not, yeah, not in it. Not decidedly not in that move, film. Moving on. But moving so, kind of want to, Chris. So I, we don't, look. We don't need to spend a lot of time because, like we said, it's not really a B-side, But me and Connor love it. It's nice that Guy was willing to talk about it. As he said, like that run. What I do love is he's talking about that run where he's like, ravenous was a yeah. trying set, and then he's like, but ninety nine. He's like, I yeah. work with Nolan and freaking and that was yeah. great. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I, great. I just love that he's like there was a reprieve in 99. There was yeah. two dope sets and then it yeah. was shit for two more years. Like <laughs> I just I love that idea that like he was like Okay, well, ravenous—that f- fucking was rough. And then he's like, "But okay, no one seems like he knows what he's doing. All right, freaking's a legend. He's got it." And then it was like, "Is Pierce an Oppenheimer? He should be." What, oh God, Chris your get lips him, to your in? lips to God's ears, dude. Why? I mean, every white actor, actress <laughs> right. in America is an Oppenheimer. What is
1: guy? If he's not, it, what, what is does guy, guy have to not- do? Not doing it. Is there.
0: Carice Van Honden in it? Get her in it. Yeah, whatever. One of them, two, two of them, in. both of them. Um, but so, you know, um, but no, obviously we both recommend Count of Monte Cristo for whatever, yeah, for good, whatever limitations yeah. it has. I think I, and I said this, obviously, I think the thing about that movie, and I've obviously returned to it um, and, and enjoyed it all the same, is just it has that thing that movies don't have a lot anymore which is just charm right like yeah like cavisol did you read the did you read the ebert review of it i have read it not recently but i it's, have read it no
1: ebert's like so on the money unsurprisingly or whatever but like he basically says uh this is the kind of adventure picture studios churned out in the golden age yeah. so tradi-
0: so traditional it almost feels new Right. And that's but and, no, and that's kind of what I said to him, right? Yeah. That's how it felt yeah, yeah. in 02. When I saw in theaters, I was that's like exact, yeah. You're like, you're Oh just, shit. Like, you're like They don't make them like this. But it's but it's just good. And, like and, it's just And and look, and I meant what I said, like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, you can rag on that movie all you want, and there's plenty you can make you know, the accents and whatever, and okay. But 11 years prior, that's what that movie had. It was like, it was yeah. Costner classic kind of had the- I would argue Count of Cristo* Christo's better. Sure. No, no, th- I'm not- yeah, I think. I would agree yeah. with you. And also just other things that are just fun is like Dagmar Dimensic, who had that amazing no, performance yeah. in fucking The Lost Daughter last year. Yeah. She's yeah, great yeah. as Mercedes in yeah, Monte Cristo. Yeah. And she has great chemistry with Jim Caviezel, who plays Emmanuel Who Jim Caviezel, who we is only been good in movies, and there's never been a problem with him outside of <laughs> movies ever. He's totally a charming guy with beautiful eyes. And there's never been a weird problem with any sort of conspiracy theories ever. He's a totally normal <laughs> guy. Yes. Anyway. I will
1: say just to the guy Pierce of this movie before we move on. Um it is a it's not as like if you watch Robin Hood, right? And you enjoy the how excellent the Rickman performance is for like all the scenery that it chews or whatever. This isn't quite that kind of a villainy performance, but it is like, it's not scenery chewing, but it does feel like a, a like snaky forked tongue villainy performance. Like it's just, it's just the realistic side of like, Disney villain kind of almost. And I mean that in a good way. Like it's like it's this slink. It's this slinky, gross kind of performance. Like you can see why he's charming potentially. But he's like he's got bad teeth. Like, you know, like and all this. I don't know. It just a, a lot of basically everything guy does in this movie, like really, uh, really works because you could see he's exactly the kind of charismatic person that you could see why anybody would be friends with him. Like you know, right? He he feels like a charismatic sociopath, you know. Um, but you also get some good Wincott for your money in *Count of Monte Cristo*. Great, all the time in the world,
0: the best early early nothing like a first act Wincott for your money. Um, yeah, high recommend from both of us. Um, and then yeah, that same year we mentioned obviously the hard word comes out, which that was a shocker, right? Because and we were talking about this when we were kind of deciding the movies to talk about i said to you like oh the hard word is this australian crime movie that i always have loved and i kind of said this like that was like an example of like oh i like this guy guy pierce i've seen him in these good movies what else has he done oh the hard word oh he's australian right okay and i found the hard word like at Blockbuster when I was you know fourteen years old, yeah,
1: that's how I
0: found Priscilla. Like right. I, that was like the yeah like I didn't even that. get to Priscilla till even later, right? Because I think I was you know I didn't even I don't think I put two and two together to be honest. But like the hard word is like a funny con movie slash heist movie. And I kind of thought of it like, okay, I don't want to like, you know, I don't know how the lockout production was, but I know of Monte Cristo probably was pretty tumultuous. So like, let me pick this Australian movie that I'm sure he loved making. And then it was so funny when he was like, oh no, that was like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I directed that movie. I was like, what, dude?
1: First of all, great job directing because yeah, I like wi- it. Wild story, actually. Like, and let me tell not, you, I said
0: that, and I, I, I didn't want to biased. take time talking about this. I, in my young life was on a set where that exact thing happened. There was a director on an indie movie with stars in the movie, but it was a really low-budget movie. And there was a, a moment, uh, a night, a day, a, a f- a day of shooting, at night of shooting, where the director literally was like, he didn't know what to do about a scene, and he couldn't figure it out. Uh, and I was a coordinator on it I was a young man and it was crazy like it was actually crazy because if you think about it like look you, I mean it's actually a really big like you might listen to Guy Pierce talk about Scott Roberts and what happened on the set and think to yourself like oh Guy might be sounding a little like, well
1: it does I will say he doesn't really throw him no, under no, the no, bus no but like, I'm he, saying he's, he's still he handles it over. he yeah, handles yeah. it the,
0: the most perfect way yeah, but yeah. I'm saying you could still hear it and be like, "Oh, what's up, guy?" Like, and I'm telling you, right. you're wrong. I'm telling you, you're wrong because no, it's yeah. I, I, have, I, would been, it I have been, I've been on that set, fact, and like, you got to remember, honest. like, the most important thing for a director to do is make decisions. Like, you, I cannot overstate this enough. I cannot say this clear, clear. Like, if when you and I've, you know, I've been lucky enough to direct small, small things, so I only have a modicum of an idea. But you know, Connor, right? It's yeah. people come up to you even if it's a $10,000 thing and they're like, "Hey, is this thing okay? What about this thing? What about this thing? Okay, we got to do this thing. Is this is the camera placement like how, how did you picture this happening?" You they're coming to you for every answer. If you cannot right. if you don't know and you can't like figure it out, right. You know, it's a it's a fire. It's a it's a fire on set like and so you know, having been on a, a bigger but still small scenario where that happened, and watching the actors literally be like, "This is cannot happen," right? And well, like,
1: and I, I, I'd be curious to know the DP's side of that story too, because yeah. as Guy mentioned, like well Brian Brian can,
0: Brihaney, who he mentions yeah, who they, shot
1: Priscilla, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd be curious to know his side of that story too, because I just I I can I can totally picture a You know, a key crew member like the DP being like, all right, well, I just, I'm going to go with this because someone's got
0: to. And that's what happens. I mean, look, and that's what happens. Money, look, you got to remember these are living, I mean, money is being spent every minute, right? Like, so at a certain point, someone's stepping in and saying, hey, this is how we're doing it. Right. So Guy yeah. basically being like me and Rachel, we had to just do that. I was impressed by that. I thought that was interesting. And also, not to mention it's a good movie, right? Like it's it's yeah. it's a good movie, right? So I think, you know, he's complimentary of, of Scott Roberts who wrote the script and did you rewatch it in, in prep? I did not. I didn't for, not. I did for not. this. So I did. I hadn't watched
1: it pro I, I mean, like I said, I was just like you, like I watched it when I was what, fourteen or whatever you know, whenever. I was able to rent it uh, and I, you know, going, you're, you're going through like your, you know, your Quentin Tarantino guy, Richie phase and whatever. And you're just consuming stuff. And that, that's kind of very much is.
0: in that vein. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: definitely, it, it's it, dark. I remember, Yeah. I remember in like the Apple trailers days, watching this trailer um, and it getting billed as like the, Oh, it's the Aussie oceans 11. And like, it is not, like it is not Like if you watch Can Ocean's I tell you 11... as
0: a young man I And I know this is But it is what it is The The scene in the prison And the interrogation <laughs> or, or not the interrogation The No uh,
1: but the visiting What, Rachel, what part with the part she, Rachel she. Griffiths
0: does something
1: <laughs> As a 14 like year like, old I was po. like I was like
0: Uh, um anyway
1: you know what just just watch it i mean when you watch it you'll know what i mean you'll be like oh i see what it's but i guess that's the thing it's i i more so than even in like a tarantino movie um i think this movie does less to like try and make its questionable characters fully likable the way like a quentin tarantino movie would right we're like yeah. when you're watching a quentin tarantino movie obviously almost all the qu- characters are questionable right morally speaking or whatever right and it doesn't matter because it's just whatever. It's just it's a like a vibe and whatever. Right. And this does very little to like mask that stuff, like every kind of and not in a bad way, but like everybody kind of comes off at least a little like hmm, like and it that's one thing that I remember not liking when I saw it when I was 14 again, because I'm like a 14 year old renting it thinking like, oh, I want you know, I it it. Apple Trailers told me this was the Aussie Ocean's 11, right? So you're like you're expecting something kind of breezy and constantly funny and everybody's charming and whatever. And this movie is like dirty and dark and mean and like probably has more in common with like a Henry Hathaway movie than it does like you do you know what I mean? Totally
0: like, 100%.
1: Like definitely it it just feels a little bit more like old school I don't know if technically Henry Hathaway was pre-code, but I'm just going to say, like, it feels like an old school pre-code film. Well, not, no,
0: thing, Hathaway wouldn't. Like, I think a lot of the stuff he made, it wasn't pre-code, but your point stands. Like, it just, yeah. under the radar, dirty, you yeah. know, kind of noir adjacent films. And it basically, the, the
1: the quick plot, just, just so you know... Um, it's basically three brothers who are robbers and they are played by Guy Pearce, Joel Edgerton and Damian Richardson. Robert Taylor is their lawyer who basically continuously they have this whole thing going on where um they, you know, they'll they'll do a job, they'll get pinched for it and kind of a bunch of people get a cut, right? So then the warden of the prison or as they say the governor right of the prison lets them out to basically kind of do it again they basically get arrested again for appearance's sake and round and round we go. Right. And Robert, and
0: we should say Robert Taylor, who's Longmire from the show Longmire. Oh yeah. Right. If we all remember the show Longmire, <laughs> Sheriff um, Longmire.
1: But basically, meanwhile, Robert Taylor has like a thing on the side with Rachel Griffiths, who is Guy Pierce's girlfriend. Um, and or his wife, right? His wife. His, wa- his wife, I believe. His wife, yeah. Sorry, uh, Guy Pierce's wife, and it's yeah. A- as we kind of mentioned, like that whole dynamic is a lot more. You're kind of half expecting Rachel Griffiths to be like pulling some kind of a grift with Robert Taylor, but it does sort of reveal itself to be maybe not like a genuine affair, but more like she is certainly like walking kind of both both ends of that of that line uh between Guy Pierce and Robert Taylor and so um yeah it just everything comes off a, a lot messier uh, from a from a, the you know in terms of the way the character's allegiances lie and things like that and even even uh Guy Pierce again he's it's it's a it's a fun sort of scuzzy, uh, performance that works really, really well. Um, Joel Edgerton's really good. He's sort of this, he's like Guy Pierce's the youngest of the three brothers. He's like the just, you know, short tempered pugnacious one. Um, he's, uh, he's really nice, but, um, but yeah, that's the hard word. And it basically, you know, it carries out like a pretty clean it's a little caper it's not it's not that uh it's not that long um and like i said you can find it on youtube i believe uh that's where i rewatched it anyway so the one thing i was um curious about when i rewatched it that i didn't remember cuz i hadn't seen it in a very long time but is that the the soundtrack i could almost bet you that the version that exists online the score is like not great it's kind of synthy it almost feels like low rent tv kind of Uh, do you
0: think this it's like a different thing because of the soundtrack
1: yeah that's i that's what i was wondering i didn't i didn't remember it enough to remember whether or not that's the way it always was but watching it this time i was like oh this it feels kind of like sounds low rent um and I was wondering if I, if only because the original, either the original version had a bunch of needle drops and they replaced it, or maybe when they were cutting it, there were a bunch of like needle drops and things like that, that they like didn't get the rights to or whatever. So they had to default to some kind of a quick, dirty score or something like that. But, yeah. I'd be um,
0: curious. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: but it's a good movie. I would say I, I d- definitely sort of a fun, uh, a fun recommend if you're looking for a, like a, Grungy Aussie uh, crime caper,
0: yeah. And then you know we mentioned a few others. First Snow obviously comes a few years later, which is an interesting crime film. Uh, he, you know, guy guy mentioned it, and um, around that same time we talked a little bit about Jillian Armstrong's Death Defying Acts, in which he plays Harry Houdini with alongside. Catherine Zeta-Jones, and a young Saoirse Ronan. And Timothy Spall as well. Timothy yeah. Spall. And I think, you know, I mentioned me and Jordan saw that at the Toronto Film Festival when it premiered, and it got buried, obviously, by Harvey Weinstein, kind of in a shitty way. And, you know, it was moderately well-reviewed. I was kind of going back and looking. The festival reviews are, you know, like, it's not, it wasn't a rave, but it was, like, certainly, like, Respectable notices, and then I think, yeah, mm-hmm. just I, you know, um, got buried by this horrible guy who you know did that a lot. And, you know, I'm I, you know, um, it sounds like Armstrong kind of fought him on the cut and all these things. And you know, what happens is you know, he met the contractual obligations, but nothing more, right? And I think the movie kind of disappeared, which is unfortunate because you know, you you rewatched it, right, Connor? I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a good interesting movie and obviously features some good performances and that's just one of those things you know those things when when those when movies like that get buried what tends to happen is you think of them negatively because no one's heard of them right and it's not always fair right because it's just like no that was good you know and and you know him him championing it, I I was happy to hear about because I was like, yeah, I remember that being good. And like, no, and it it's something that I've wanted to talk about on this podcast
1: because it is just, it's you know whatever it it fits the perfect Venn diagram of the movies we like talking about, right? Like, it's a movie with movie stars that totally disappeared, and it's good, right? And, and it's you like, know we've had
0: two great actors on the B side who have played Harry Houdini. Adrian Brody was in Oh Houdini, right. I believe for A and E. Right, right. So that's two, baby. There I don't think is. Steve Zahn has ever played Houdini. <laughs> not that I know. Navola hasn't played Houdini, not but he yet. could. God knows, Alessandra yeah. could play Houdini.
1: Um, but uh, he actually could. Now that I'm like, yeah,
0: now that totally. That I'm could. like, oh, that
1: would probably be a pretty good movie. Um, but yeah, no, he, it's it's a really good. Perf- I mean. It, you heard guy recommend it and you could I you could see why when you watch the movie it's like a good performance physically emotionally like everything kind of he's doing there is is aces and I would probably you know me I mean he's a very gifted actor who's given Mary many 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 great performances so but I would say this is probably top five um
0: for you probably guy
1: yeah yeah it's a really it's a really good performance because it's it's just it like toes this really it toes this really weird line just between you know that that sort of showman's uh charismatic showman slash you know uh arrogant prick right thing but but he's really sort of deftly like slips into like a real vulnerability. Um, cause the, so the whole kind of the whole thing of the movie is it's Houdini, um, offering up $10,000 to basically anybody, anybody who's a medium or a psychic or whatever, who can tell him his mother's last words, right? And you get the idea he had a very strong relationship with his mother as the movie goes on. That gets like a little murkier in kind of an interesting way in terms of like just psychologically speaking in terms of his his like relationship and attachment to his mother. Um, And on the other end of it, uh, you have Catherine Zeta-Jones and Saoirse Ronan, who are a mother and daughter who are in Edinburgh and are kind of just pulling cons and grifts to make ends meet. And one of the ways they were doing that is they were headlining a show in a very like a uh, nightmare alley esque kind of way. They were headlining a show where they were, they would essentially pick a Mark and then, you know, what, when that Mark was in the audience, they would sort of make it seem like Captain Zeta Jones was communicating with a dead relative or something like that. Right. And it was a sort of a longstanding uh, act that they had May Some would say, an act that defied death,
0: maybe. interesting. Uh,
1: oh. um, and so they wind up crossing paths because they think that they can swindle Houdini. And in the meantime, Houdini winds up falling in love with the Catherine Zeta-Jones character, whose name is Mary McGarvey.
0: Um, Mary and, McGarvey. You know,
1: <laughs> that's a little Irish. It's a little. I, mean, more... I can't do Scottish. good, <laughs> so.
0: Your you're uh, getting Irish,
1: but. No, it's good, and you know we did a Sorcha Ronan episode uh, a, a a while back, and this is one I would you know I don't know if that came up at all on that episode. I don't think so. But she's very good in this too. Unsurprisingly, she's a very talented actor. Um, but yeah, everyone's really good. Spall is really it's like good. A year
0: before like... Atonement, right? So
1: yeah, and and Spall is basically um he's like a slightly less threatening version of the, uh, Holt McCallany character from nightmare alley. Like Mm. he's, he's Houdini's manager and friend, but it's kind of adversarial between the two of them. And, but it's, it's, he's very like, he's got kind of a keen eye on Catherine Zeta Jones and, uh, and Sorcia Ronan. And so I, I don't know. And it's, it all clocks in at under a hundred minutes. Like it's just a good, solid little, period piece it's a good little romance um if i had to guess the runtime plus what guy had mentioned and what you just mentioned with the weinstein stuff i mean i this had this had to have been a longer movie that's like one of the only things i noticed about it was that it does it does feel like it kind of rushes through a couple bits particularly near the end the movie kind of climaxes with the the movie climaxes with the ultimate, like proving or disproving of Houdini's calling out of psychic mediums, right? Like the, of the, the sort of acceptance of this challenge and seeing whether or not you're actually going to hear his mother's final words. And it gets to that scene from another scene where it just, it feels like there were maybe five more scenes in between because it just, it cuts to it and you're sort of like, Oh, they've already set all this up. You know, like, oh, it's just here. it's happening now, you know, um, and, and it's a thing that's been built up for the whole movie. So there's not really much sort of there's not really much transitioning to it when it actually happens. And that was the one moment that I was like, oh, it feels like there's like 20 minutes somewhere in here that's not there anymore. But, um, yeah, nice little movie. Big recommend. I can see why he's proud of it.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, the last one, Lockout Space Jail, uh, Space Jail slash Lockout. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, has become a cult film of sorts. Um got a proper release in the states, you know, you know, French a French production. As he said, they filmed it in um, uh, Eastern Europe, I can't think of where he says in the interview, but you just heard it so you know. Um And yeah, I mean, I He was obviously right to mention the special effects And whatnot, kind of letting down the movie I suppose that's true I think, you know, I meant what I said I think the tone ultimately Lends itself to forgiving those things As like all part of the same Kind of Vibe it's giving off Which is like A little self-aware You know, a little kind of You know, navel-gazing What have you
1: I think really, and the only, and this is to the this is to the benefit of the movie. But I can see, I can see why it feels like a letdown. Because if this movie gets maybe let's say forty more million dollars in its budget or something, like maybe this isn't a problem. In the beginning of the movie, a a quick setup is just it's Escape from New York. He uh, Guy Pierce is a guy named Snow who is I mean, recruited. The, yeah, it's to, the president's daughter, not the president yeah, so himself. It's, it's yes. a little different, but the president's daughter is aboard this uh, supermax prison that's in space, a space jail, if you will, Hell yeah. uh, called called MS-1. Uh, Maggie Grace plays the president's daughter and Guy Pierce, who has already been kind of detained by the CIA for getting mixed up in this sort of handoff gone wrong kind of thing, he then gets recruited to be the one to go and
0: uh, go to MS1 and and save Maggie
1: Grace, right? And, and,
0: not un- that- and not unlike Escape from New York, it's like, we need to say we tried, but we don't think you have any chance of succeeding. Exactly. So because right. we don't yeah. care about you, criminal, who has a background in this type of a thing, just go do it, but we'll kill you either way. So... Good luck. Right? right. You know, right. It's a suicide mission.
1: And, um, and the, that setup though, that handoff gone wrong translates from a kind of a cool little scuffle in a hotel room that starts the movie. Guy Pierce does this really dope move where he f- throws a gun into the air with a bedsheet and catches it and shoots a guy. It's pretty dope. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but that then leads into this futuristic, washington dc highway chase and guy pierce gets on this kind of like unicycle it almost it almost looks like it might be like the the futuristic version of like a penny farthing bicycle because it's got this like one big wheel or whatever um but Yeah, it's a really you can tell there's like frame rate things and you can tell they try and do things stylistically by like blurring the image uh, to just sort of patch up what seemed like a lot of the rough edges. And as I was rewatching it, I was thinking I can see how this feels like a big disappointment because the coolest thing about this sequence is when he leaves the hotel that he's in and runs out and winds up hijacking the bike and it turns into a a highway chase that then leads into the DC Metro where he like slides off the bike as it explodes and into a train car. It's all one take, right? Yeah. And not really obviously one take, but it's all positioned as one take. So I can definitely see a world where if you're the people putting that together in your head, you're like, Oh, this is going to fucking rip. Right. And it's so, The spirit of the thing of those sequences, even though they don't look great, I think is really cool. And what's helpful, though, is I do actually think that in terms of where they put the money, I get the sense that they were like, we're running out of money for VFX. We're going to take it off of this big sequence because it's not really what the movie's about. We're going to keep the sequence in the movie, though, and then we're going to put all the effects like later on in the movie because all the other effect shots that are in and around when they're in the titular space jail or whatever uh are you know that all works pretty well yeah i agree uh so uh, to your point though that's that's the long way of just getting back to your point which is that like i think the movie rips the band-aid off with some of those vfx things and pierce himself like is the special effect like it's such a fun plucky swaggering performance um, and you get a nice hammy Peter Stormare as well, uh, which is a lot of fun. I think Guy Pierce and Maggie Grace have a nice little chemistry, totally.
0: Um, so it's
1: yeah, I don't know. He's it's somebody
0: a- we've talked about this, he's somebody who's had good chemistry with a lot of people, like Kay Winslet, obviously, comes to mind. We mentioned Mildred Pierce briefly, obviously, mayor of East Town more recently, yeah, but even like, yeah, like even you know, Priscilla in general, right? And right. then, um, lockout in a different way i mean
1: la confidential for god's sakes
0: you know like adver good good adversarial chemistry uh, is still yeah, good him chemistry. and crow yeah. have great chemistry yeah. that el- that elucidates in that final scene which is so wonderful the the victory motel scene oh. oh my god indeed um what is uh what does he say right before the final shootout didn't your father die in the line of duty right and then he laughs uh, right isn't that yeah. oh my god it's perfect um, I mean, LA Confidential, top 10 all-time movie for me. I mean, without question. So a
1: Top 10 all-time movie anyone, ever. Except for William yeah.
0: Goldman, who hates it. Speaking of William <laughs> Goldman, because the cocaine. He, he yeah, hates it. Stu- he's stupid. like, That's what happened stupid. to the cocaine? Yeah. That's what William Goldman's complaint was. And you know what I would say to William Goldman, RIP? Shut <laughs> up, William <laughs> Goldman. Who cares? He cares. Nobody else did. God bless him. RIP. Um, great great writer um but yeah he's i feel like we've talked about this actors who kind of can ring out chemistry and, and he might not seem like one who who has that ability but he does actually um whereas like we've said like tom cruise we love tom cruise right he does not right like tom cruise his yeah. whole career I feel like if you told me a criticism of him is he struggles with with grabbing chemistry from his co-stars, be they male or female, I would say, yes, you're right. And it's it speaks to the fact that some of his best chemistry is with, like, Brad Pitt in Interview with the Vampire, right, which they right. didn't like each other on set, but they have great chemistry. And, like, you know, he struggles with, I think— His you know, chemistry with Jamie Foxx is great in class. Yes, but, like, for example, yeah. people love Top Gun. I like Top Gun fine. That's not great chemistry, I don't think. Kim and Kelly McGillis, I don't think have. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's popping off of any screen. I really don't no, think so. No, I, think... I so. I rewatched that movie, not to tangent
1: or whatever, but I rewatched that movie the day the, the final Maverick trailer right. dropped, and I liked it a little bit more. And I said this to you. I was like, I don't. Li- I I probably mentioned this before on the show, but like, I don't really like that movie that much as much as I like Tom Cruise movies. Top Gun is like one of my least favorite for sure, um, and. Re-watching it, I liked it, but the movie clicked in a way better way for me when you realize that Maverick is the villain the whole time. <laughs> and like and, and, and poor like, Iceman just it's trying just, to keep
0: the crew together. Yeah,
1: because Iceman might be, you know, he might be like a little bit of a prick or whatever, but like he's base, he's like, you're unsafe. I'm like, yeah, he's right. Um and I think one of the other thing I realized is if you could just Give all any Oscar or whatever to the use of "Take My Breath Away" in that yeah. movie. That is what it is because they don't. To your point, the they the not song, but the
0: but "Take My Breath
1: Away" Gee, for yeah, all right. The they're they're stuff.
0: mining the chemistry from the song. Yeah, and you're yes.
1: yeah, you're like yes. Oh my god, it seems like a lovely romance, but it's just because the song is fucking
0: great. Well, to but, your point, uh, he has better chemistry with Val Kilmer, right? Like antagonistic, sure. You know, kind yeah. of. Uh, yeah. But even like you know, even like. Um, him and Renee in Jerry Maguire, they don't have great chemistry, though obviously that's kind of the point of the movie. That kind of helps the movie. Yeah, yeah, it helps the movie, but it's there. Which, I mean, good for Cameron Crow. And then, like, I would say... I think he has okay chemistry with Penelope Cruz and Vanilla Sky. I would agree. Which I think is important, obviously, for that movie. Sure. Also, Cameron Crowe. But even like Nicole Kidman, his wife at the time, (laughs) not great chemistry in Days of Thunder, which is common. It's not like that's a common thing. Yeah. You know, case, you know, see example 47,000 Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively in Green Lantern. Right. But But, but. Days of Thunder, they don't have great chemistry. And then, of course, a decade later, that lack of chemistry is what what makes Eyes Wide Shut the best movie ever made. So it's like it it can work. I'm not saying it can't work. I'm just saying Guy Pierce is one of these guys who somehow finds chemistry in most cases, which I think is interesting. And I think if you – yeah, I mean there's a million things we could – there's a million of his... But, like, Jack Iris, for example, which is a show he's in, which is a good show mm-hmm. you should watch. He has dalliances in that in that show. A great example, like, it works. Like, he... Whatever it is he has, like, he has these little, like, you know... You know, these little affairs. And whoever the actress is, most of the time, you're like, yeah, hell yeah, I believe this. And I'm just saying... That stuff's taken for granted, I think, sometimes, and it's not nothing. And I think that's a thing that a guy like Guy Pierce maybe doesn't get credit for because you don't know, think of him like that, but it's there and it's true and it works. I mean, even got, I mean, this is insane. Samantha Mumba. <laughs> Pop star Samantha Mumba. Dude, no, you're 100% right. Who is in, the in female lead machine. in the time machine? I'm not saying it's great but he's finding it a little bit in the time machine which is sure crazy sure. like when you yeah. think about who all that production went through and she was uh, not really an actress really and like unbelievable yeah and i think once it, again samantha mumba what was her hit <laughs> song i'm looking it up keep talking i'm going to look it up um no
1: and even the it's i think over the course of even the movies just that we've talked about i think it's important to see how he kind of modulates a sort of, um, you know, I think lately he gets stuffed in these like quasi antagonistic roles. Cause I think there might be like an innate, uh, an innate, I don't want smarminess is not the word, but, but there's a sort of like a devilish charm. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's kind of what I mentioned with, with, uh, Count of Monte Cristo and it's what makes that performance really work is there's a devilish charm that you're like oh I can understand like even though he's obviously the villain and he's going to fuck everybody over you under- you could understand how that good dude could turn on the charm and, and he'd make you his best friend. Well look he
0: played Errol idiots, Flynn right? early in
1: his career a movie called right. Flynn which I haven't and, seen but and, it's like that. And it's yeah and, and it's, it's interesting to see him even across all the movies that we're talking about right. Um, even lockout, like pivot that into anti-hero charm, right? Pivot
0: that into full action star swagger, right? Like, uh, and yeah, you know, and what makes him the role he plays in Mildred Pierce a perfect role for him because that sure. role, without yeah. giving anything away. Is, in, is incredibly that, right? So I think yeah. when he just straight up does that, it works well. And let me just say, I'm seeing here Samantha Mumba from her 2000 album, Gotta Tell You, the hit song I'm looking at here is called, Um, let me see here, I think it's called Gotta Tell You. So oh, okay. just as a reference <laughs> to her, I was a big fan. I would have been 12, uh, but I was a big fan back in the day. So. The, the other...
1: um I mean, you mentioned, and it's, yeah, you mentioned Mildred Pierce, even just also like then that going into Mayor of Easttown, right? right. Like And again, later, not yeah. to give anything away, but there is the quality, The I think it's beautiful casting as as that character that he plays because you just, in a, you know, in a yeah, dead He seems, girl, he seems a dead nice, girl but he could series. be the killer. Exactly. Yes, and it's yes. perfect casting. Like you're like, I, and you really, you're like, I don't know. Like, maybe he is. Maybe right. he's not. Like, I like I remember Brittany and I watching that show, you know, over the course of a weekend. We had watched it after it ended. We watched, like, every episode over the course of a weekend and literally did that every time he was on screen. Like, it was just one of those, like. Yeah, but what about Guy? Maybe, right. Yeah, you're like, maybe it's Guy? No, can't be. He's so nice. But you're like, but it's Guy. So maybe he's just, you right. know, I don't right, know. right, it, right, right, right. I think that's one of the most engrossing things about him, uh, as an actor in general. And I think I do, I do wish he got, you know, I, I do wish he got a little bit more of a Hollywood leading man shot, even if he might disagree, um, just cause I, so I mean, it sounds like he bad.
0: chose not to, right? I no, mean, that's I, what I'm I saying. Think, you like, know,
1: it seems like, a, I not unlike
0: a Josh Hartnett or whatever, where like, I think, yeah, it you seems know, like he
1: clearly pushed it away. Yeah. And at a certain point, okay it's, it's like, they're
0: yeah. like, you know what? This isn't for me, which I think yeah. is totally fine. I mean, I think that's, you know, anybody's prerogative. And, and I think, you know, finding the pocket in which you operate. Well, you know, you know, he said this, right. Which is like, you come back and you're like, okay, this is how I, this is how I'm going to do it. Um, and look, like Samantha Mumba said in her song, got to tell you, he probably went to Hollywood <laughs> and he said, look, I got to tell you, this is what I'm going to do. Like she said, uh, Samantha Mumba star of the time machine directed by Simon Wells, but also Gore Um, Well, that's Guy Pierce. I'm happy you guys were able to listen to some Guy. Um, Hopefully, you stuck with us as we talked post Guy. If not, that's fine. Um, You're not listening anyway, so I'm talking to no one if you're not listening. But (laughs) um, what are final Guy things? I'm trying to think recommendations. Anything else you'd yeah Anything else you'd recommend? Yeah, I mean, First Snow. We we talked about First Snow's good, kind of a small crime movie that I think. Oh, the
1: Rover. The rumor's good. One. I just re- recently
0: yeah. rewatched that. I think I don't like that as much maybe as you do. I do like it fine. Um, Death of Acts Axe we talked about. I think Traitor starring Don oh, Sheetle sure. is kind yeah. of interesting. Um, weird screenplay credit there. You'll notice Steve Martin co-wrote it, who is the same Steve Martin you're thinking of. Uh, Jeffrey uh, Nakamanoff directed it. Interesting, provocative movie, not an amazing film. His opening scene in The Hurt Locker is very good. Um, Seeking Justice, we mentioned. He's good in Prometheus. He's great in Iron Man 3, which I would have loved yeah. to talk talked to him about. He's good. in... I mean, I'm glad we didn't. I'm. I'm. You, right, know, right, not, right, right. you know, a Marvel movie doesn't need to take up his airtime. He's good in Bloodshot, which was an early pandemic release. He's actually he, very that good. Is in Bloodshot. A
1: good, you're totally right about
0: that. That is like He's a. He's very good, a good in that movie. He's very good. Um, we talked about Rules of Engagement. He's great in Rules of Engagement. Not yes, a great yeah. movie, but he is great. We covered. Yeah, it.
1: we covered that
0: also on our uh, um, our oh, same oh, oh, episode. Oh. Good movie. This is gonna laugh. Um. He Well, no, this is not what you're going to laugh at. The proposition he mentions, absolute masterpiece. Go watch it. like The proposition is, uh, outside of LA Confidential, the best movie he's ever done. It's an incredible piece of Australian cinema. And I will say, two years or the year before that, he made, I think, a good movie. I don't know, Connor, I don't know if you've seen it. Directed by Jean-Jacques Anou, who directed The Bear... Mm. Um, from from way earlier, which I don't know if you've seen The Bear. He's directed other films too. I believe he also directed Seven Years in Tibet, I want to say. Yes, he directed The Bear, The Name of the Rose, Quest for Fire. Oh, uh, okay. Um, anyway. Sure. The movie that guy pierces in about two um tiger brothers, like actual tigers, real tigers. Um, it takes place in Cambodia in the 1920s. It's called Two Brothers. That's the name of the movie. And he is the he's the lead of the film, the human lead, but it's Two Tigers. And it's a good movie. I would recommend Two Brothers. I think it's I think you'd call it a movie for kids, I guess, but it's good. Um that's like a random one. That that would have been one we could have asked him about, um, you know, certainly, because it's like, who remembers the, that movie? But it, I'd be curious to know if he got involved in that and kind
1: of, because he's also, I don't know, we mentioned he's like a big activist, like a huge like
0: wildlife activist. Um, I would imagine that must have been wild, right? And I'm sure that must have been part of And the, let me also say, funny, fun fact, Two Brothers came out the same year as, or no, sorry, Two Brothers came out the year before Four, Four brothers. brothers which is a good movie directed by We're going to exponentially Singleton.
1: increase is there is there an uh, an eight brothers we're going to get Are or... there seven brides for seven brothers?
0: <laughs> because no, that... that's
1: that's no that's one brother too short though. That's ah, not enough
0: brothers. But you know Factory Girl not a great movie he plays Andy Warhol though um lawless, good in which we say y'all lawless uh <laughs> he's in it not also not a great movie but he's In it, and he's actually the law. I believe in that movie. So he He is is lawful, but the brothers, uh, I believe, Tom Hardy, Jason Clark, and Shia LaBeouf, they are y'all lawless, lawless. Lawless. Um, And there's a bunch of others. I mean, he's in the Catcher Was a Spy, which is kind of a good Sundance movie. Uh, I guess we we won't won't recommend serving the (laughs) thieves. A neo western action thriller um i'm seeing here he's he plays a texas ranger okay i think i might watch it <laughs> you're, i love that after all this you're gonna like he disturbed my piece so everybody
1: everybody who's listening to this now just keep an eye on dan's letterbox because what i can't oh, wait God. for is yeah. like a
0: is like a three and a three half star <laughs> disturbing <the> piece <laughs> guy I get, a, I get a zoom from guy pierce he's like hey man <laughs> you didn't uh, do it <laughs> um Anyway, that's Guy (laughs) Pierce. I'm Dan Mecca. You can follow me at DJ Mecca on Twitter, at Fathom Stories for some of the creative short story stuff I'm doing. Um, Plenty coming from the film stage as ever. And as we always do, we pass it over to Connor to to do some housekeeping and close us out. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on
1: Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can follow this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS. B-Side, uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can shoot us an email at B-S-I-D-E, B-Side, at the filmstage.com. And uh, what else? Oh, it, obviously, if you like what you're hearing, what you've heard, please do rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us out a great deal. We appreciate it. We love you for it. Uh, and what else? We have uh, some fun stuff coming up. We're doing another uh, one of our... Ode to Almost Movie Star, which we might change the title of to Almost Famous, uh, whatever, we're working on that, but we're going to do one on the career of Taylor Kitsch, uh, so that'll be a fun one. You'll get to hear us gush about uh, how much we love John Carter, which I'm sure we've talked about before on this podcast anyway, but uh, that's coming up as well as we have our dear friend Mitchell Bupre coming on the show to talk about yeah. some B-sides. From the excellent Gene Hackman ever heard of him?
0: I have never, Uh, so this was new for me. I watched Yeah, it's all new. I never I never heard of him. So yeah. Um and you're from Mooseport. Yeah, I don't so we don't (laughs) love the film um because it just treats our town it just paints it in it paints it with a broad brush. So I don't indeed as a Mooseport native, um I don't. You're not love. a big Ray Romano fan, then, because of okay. Fair. Look, they say everybody loves Raymond. Let me just say, come to Mooseport, um, the people of Mooseport, you'll find don't. that's not the case, and that's <laughs> all I'll say about that. But um, excited to talk about Gene. Excited to talk about Hackman. Excited to talk about margins that may be. Maybe not as wide as you thought they were. Some narrow or ones. Valor yeah. that isn't as common as you might find or Right, some uncommon. Bullets yeah. that you might bite, or I'm trying to think of all the movies we're actually <laughs> not gonna really cover because those are not yeah, our B sides. All, all,
1: all the ones you've mentioned are actually not ones Bullets that we're we plan not cover.
0: to bite. Um uh,
1: anyway, uh, if you've stopped listening already, we forgive you. The slow and, and the alive. All right, I'm done. <laughs> but thank you uh thanks to guy for letting you know letting thank us you, talk guy. with him and uh remember that memory if you're listening is out uh and you you can watch it april 29th which features guy um and yeah thank you out there for listening to our guy talk